Section 1 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8, edited by Francis Watt Wheeler. Pure Mathematics, Chapter 1, Number. Part 1. The notion of the number is extremely slow to develop both in the individual and in the race. Yet it has its origin at such a remote period in the evolution of man that only a possible reconstruction of its history may be given. Such an account may be built up mainly from three sources. A study of the knowledge and use of number among peoples lowest in the scale of civilization at the present time. The genesis of the number concept in the mind of the child and a comparison of root words of various languages, past and present. Number is coeval with spoken language, and probably annotates by a long period any written language or symbolism. Primitive man recorded the results of hunting or fishing excursions, the number of warriors in the opposing camp, or the number of days' journey from home by the use of pebbles, shells, knots in cord, nicks in wood, scores on stone, and most important for the present day, by the fingers and toes. The mode of recording numbers by knots on cord gave rise to the term kipu, reckoning, from the Peruvian language kipu meaning knot. Edward Claude, in the story of the alphabet, has this reference. The kipu has a long history and is with us in the rosary upon which prayers are counted in the knot tied in a handkerchief to help a weak memory, and in the sailor's log line. Herodotus tells that when Darius bade the Ionians remain to guard the floating bridge which spanned the Ister, he tied sixty knots in a thong, saying, Men of Ionia, do keep this thong, and do as I shall say. So soon as ye shall have seen me go forward against this Scythians, from that time begin and untie a knot each day, and if within this time I am not here, ye find that the days marked by the knots have passed by, then sail away to your own lands. The kipu reached its more elaborate form among the ancient Peruvians. It consisted of a main cord, to which were fastened at given distances thinner cords of different colors, each cord being knotted in divers ways and each color having its own significance. Red strands stood for soldiers, yellow for gold, white for silver, green for corn, and so forth. While a single knot meant ten, two single knots meant twenty, double knots one hundred, two double knots two hundred. Each town had its own officer, whose special function was to tie and interpret kipus. They were called kipu kamayokuna, or knot officers. Compare harpe donaptai, or rope stretchers, in connection with the geometry of the Egyptians. The knot reckoning is in use among the Puna herdsmen of the Peruvian plateau. On the first strand of the kipu they registered the bulls, on the second the cows. Then again they divide into milch cows those that are dry. The next strands register the calves, and next the sheep and so forth, while other strands record the produce. The different colors of the cords and the twisting of the knots 
giving the key to the several purposes. The Paloni Indians of California have a similar practice, concerning whom Dr. Hoffman reports that each year a certain number are chosen to visit the settlement of San Gabriel to sell native blankets. Every Indian sending goods provided the salesman with two cords made of twisted hair or wool, on one of which was tied a knot for every reel received, and on another a knot for every blanket sold. When the sum reached ten reels or one dollar, a double knot was made. Upon the return of the salesman, each person selected from the lot his own goods, by which he would at once perceive the amount due, and also the number of blankets for which the salesman was responsible. Hawaiian tax gatherers kept accounts of the accessible property through the island on lines of cordage from four to five hundred fathoms long. A method of keeping the accounts of the British exchequer before the use of writing paper was by means of tally sticks. These were of willow, about eight or ten inches long. Notches were cut, a deep one for a pound, a small one for a shilling. The stick was then sawed in half in two near one end and split down to this cut, each half bearing a record of the notches. The shorter piece was given to the depositor and the bank retained the longer. A great mass of these sticks was still in the basement of the Parliament houses when it was decided to burn them in 1834. Samuel S. Dale describes the bonfire. He says, A pile of little notched sticks bearing strange-looking inscriptions in abbreviated Latin and Old English script, the evidence of thrift for a thousand years, tokens of all the motives that prompt men and women to save, love, hate, greed, and sacrifice, hope and fear, frugality and fraud, the process of honest toil and of crime, held for ages that the missing pieces carried away by successive generations might be redeemed, their presence a mute evidence of the blasted hopes of depositors, for a thousand years. They were fed steadily to the flames from early morning until a few minutes before seven o'clock in the evening of Thursday, October 16, 1834 when suddenly a furnace flue overheated by the unusual fire started a blaze in a room above and in a few hours the house of lords and the house of commons were in ashes along with nearly all the wo old wooden tally sticks and all the basic standards of weight and measure for the british empire a few of the old tally sticks were saved when the savage in his first dim gropings for truth recognizes that two objects are more than one the first step is taken toward the formation of the number concept that a long pause ensued before the next step was taken is evidenced by a number of cases cited by various writers of tribes whose only number words are for one and many or one two and many this word for many plays the same role in the language of the savage as infinity in ordinary parlance a number inexpressibly or inconceivably great. The growth of expressibility of number may be compared with the ever-widening ripples when a pebble is dropped into still water, the outer ripple representing the upper bound of conceivable number. All the region beyond would be, in the language of the savage, many. The Hindu number system 
is the first ever devised which has no outer bound this fact has led to a more precise use of the word infinity in modern mathematical terminology the possibility of the hindu system are well illustrated by the answers of the celebrated archimedean cattle problems these answers ten in number were composed of two hundred and six thousand five hundred and forty five figures each such a number if printed in small pica type would be nearly a quarter of a mile in length the ability to form a definite conception of a number grows with intelligence but in the presence of numbers of such magnitude it is opportune to ask what relation exists between the power to conceive the number and the ability to represent it there seems to have been a curious crossing over of the two the poverty of the aboriginal language should not be taken as evidence of inability to use large numbers it simply means that the verbal expression paused for a longer time after the number two than did the number sense instances are given of peoples whose number names do not go beyond ten but who reckon as far as one hundred the number sense grows along with other mental development but has not kept step with the verbal and symbolic expression of large numbers it is questionable if the number ten thousand stands for a distinct conception if it is measured by units one obtains an idea of such a number only by grouping it say into a hundred hundreds there are several distinct steps in the formation of a number system the recognition of increase by adding in succession single objects to a group counting attaching a number name to the group counted as three sticks such a number which the object or unit is named is called a concrete number the final separation of the number notion from the objects counted or abstraction one asks how many sticks in the group and the answer is three an abstract number the indication of the number named by a symbol the choosing of a method of grouping and finally the perfection of the system by arrangements and combinations of the number words and symbols it is a long way from the mokenam one uruhu many of the bokokudos in the modern notion of number of the mathematician the class of all similar classes number in its primitive sense answers the question how many it is a pure abstraction which results from counting cardinal number tells how many of the group as seven trees while the ordinal number of any one of the objects indicates the position of the particular object in the series as the sixth tree these two ideas are equally fundamental each being derivable from the other counting is simply pairing off or in mathematical language establishing a one-to-one -one correspondence between the individuals of a group of objects counted as pebbles the fingers marks or scores number names or the symbols for these number names in the first stages it would be comparatively easy to invent a word and a symbol for each number but as the need for larger numbers grew some method of grouping became necessary in problemata attributed to aristotle the following discussion takes place why do all men barbarians as well as greeks numerate up to ten
and not to any other number, as 2, 3, 4, or 5, and then repeating 1 and 5, 2 and 5, as they do 1 and 10, 2 and 10, not counting beyond the tens, from which they again begin to repeat. For each of the numbers which proceeds is one or two and then some other, but they enumerate, however, still making the number ten their limit. For they manifestly do it not by chance, but always. The truth is, what men do upon all occasions, and always, they do not from chance, but from some law of nature. Whether is it because ten is a perfect number? for it contains all the species of number, the even, the odd, the square, the cube, the linear, the plane, the prime, the composite, or is it because the number 10 is a principle? For the numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4, when added together, produce the number 10. Or is it because of 10 numbers in continued proportion? Four cubic numbers are consummated, out of which the Pythagoreans say that the universe is constituted? Or is it because all men, from the first, have ten fingers? As therefore men have counters of their own by nature, by this set they enumerate all other things. Dr. Conant gives an illustration which typifies the beginnings of the grouping of the number concept. More than a century ago, he says, travelers in Madagascar observed a curious but simple mode of asserting the number of soldiers in an army. Each soldier was made to go through a passage in the presence of the principal chiefs, and as he went through, a pebble was dropped on the ground. This continued until a heap of ten was obtained, when one was set aside and a new heap begun. Upon the completion of ten heaps, a pebble was set aside to indicate one hundred, and so on until the entire army had been numbered. That man carries in the fingers the natural counting machine is shown by the fact that the great majority of number systems have been based on five, ten, or twenty. The typical case of a number system is that of the Zuni scale. Arithmetic has been defined as the science of number and the art of computation. This twofold nature of the subject is due to the fact that the Greeks divided the subject into arithmetic proper, which is the science of numbers, a subject for the philosopher, and logistics, or computation, which was to be taught to the slave. Notation and numeration are respectively the writing and reading of numbers. A theory of the building up of a number system is given by Dean Peacock in his article on arithmetic in the Encyclopedia Metropolitana. The discovery of the mode of breaking up numbers into classes, the units in each class increasing in decouple proportion, would lead very naturally to the invention of a nomenclature for numbers thus resolved, which is simple and comprehensive. By giving names to the first natural numbers, or digits, i.e., the first nine numbers, called digits, from counting on the fingers, and also to the units of each class in the ascending series by ten, we shall be enabled, by combining the names of the digits with those of the units possessing local or representative value, 
to express in words any number whatsoever. Thus the number resolved by means of counters in the manner indicated by figure 2 would be expressed by seven, six tens, five hundreds, four thousands, or inverting the order and making slight changes required by the existing form of the language by four thousand, five hundred, and sixty-seven. The successive columns A, B, C, D are called orders. The number of ones in any order required to make one of the next higher order, in this case ten, is called the radix, scale, or base of the system. In the above information, when nine have been put in column A, the tenth would be placed in column B, and the nine removed from column A. Such a system is called a decimal or ten times system. One of the earliest devices for reckoning consists of a board strewn with sand on which parallel lines were drawn with the finger. These lines fulfill the same office as the compartments above marked A, B, C, D. Upon the lines the counters were laid. This reckoning board was called an abacus with an old semantic word avac meaning sand. The development of the abacus from the sandboard to the swan pan of the Chinese and the counting frame of the kindergarten is to be considered in connection with reckoning. It was the custom of the Romans to drive a nail in the temple of Minerva for each year. When, as with counters, the number of marks exceeded the power of the eye to grasp, at a glance, grouping was used. The simplest method of writing a number is by a mark or stroke for each unit or one in the number, as stroke, 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 for seven. The stroke was universally used by primitive peoples as a symbol for one. The drawing of a tomb board of Wabojig, a celebrated war chief who died on Lake Superior about 1793, shows this clearly. His totem, the reindeer, is reversed. The seven strokes number the war parties he led. The three upright strokes symbolize wounds received in battle. The horned head tells of a desperate fight with a moose. The scoring of each fifth, one counted, may be regarded as the second step in the development of a satisfactory number symbolism. Such a method of recording succeeding events is not uncommon today. The thresher often so marks each stack of grain as it leaves the machine, and in loading and unloading vessels it is frequently the mode used by the tallyman. Thus, 22 would be written stroke, 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 cross, 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 stroke, stroke. Of the numerous systems of notation which have been devised, three are distinctive from their mode of formation, from their logical completion, and from their extended use, the Greek, the Roman, and the Hindu, sometimes incorrectly called the Arabic. Consider a number formed by counters, placed in the various compartments, A, B, C, D. The largest number of counters that may be put in any one compartment is nine. That is, there are nine counters for each compartment. The Greeks adopted as their number symbols the letters of their alphabet in order. 
The first nine letters for nine numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, of column A. The next nine letters for the numbers 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, of column B. As the alphabet consisted of but 24 letters, to fill out column C, three obsolete letters were interpolated. In the accompanying scheme, taken from Gao's History of Greek Mathematics, the star letters are those not belonging to the alphabet. The limit of the system with letters of the alphabet alone is 999. When it became necessary to write larger numbers, a stroke like an inverted prime was put before and usually somewhat below the letter, as seen in the number 1000, to increase the value of the letter 1000-fold. For 10,000, a new letter was used, the M, the first letter of Murid, or Murid. The symbols were always written in descending order, from left to right. The largest number now possible in the Greek notation is 9999999. The use of the alphabet as numerals seems to date from about 500 BC. The Greek mode of writing fractions is quite simple, the denominator being written over the numerator, and the numerator is written with one accent, followed by the denominator twice with two accents. As kappa alpha over iota zeta, or iota zeta accent, kappa alpha accent accent, kappa alpha accent accent. If the numerator is unity, it is omitted. One thirty second would be written lambda beta accent, or lambda beta accent accent. Special signs were sometimes used for one half, two thirds, addition, and subtraction. Archimedes devised a plan by which the Greek number system might be prolonged indefinitely, and which has been thought by some to contain the germ of the modern notation of logarithm. In a pamphlet entitled Samites, in the Latin Arenarius, the Sand Reckoner, addressed to Galen, king of Syracuse, says Gao. Archimedes begins by saying that some people think the sand cannot be counted while others maintain that if it can, still no arithmetical expression can be found for the number. Now I will endeavor, he goes on, to show you by geometrical proofs, which you can follow, that the numbers which have been named by us are included in my letter, addressed to Zeuxippus, are sufficient to exceed not only the number of a sandbox as large as the whole earth, but of one which is as large as the universe. You understand, of course, that most astronomers mean by the universe the sphere of which the center is the center of the earth and the radius is a line drawn from the center of the earth to the center of the sun. Assume the perimeter of the earth to be three million stadia and in the following cases take extreme measurements. The diameter of the earth is larger than that of the moon and that of the sun is larger than that of the earth. The diameter of the sun is 30 times that of the moon and is larger than the side of a chilion inscribed in a great circle of the sphere of the universe. It follows from these measurements that the diameter of the universe is less than 10,000 times that of the earth and is less than 10 billion stadia. 
Now suppose that 10,000 grains of sand, not less than one poppy seed, and the breadth of a poppy seed, not less than one fortieth of a finger breadth. Further using the ordinary nomenclature, we have numbers up to a myriad myriads, a hundred million. Let these be called the first order, and let a myriad myriads be a unit of the second order, and let us reckon units, tens, etc., of the second order up to a myriad myriads, and let a myriad myriads of the second order be a unit of the third order, and so on, ad lib. If numbers be arranged in a geometrical series, of which 1 is the first term and 10 is the radix, the first eight terms of such a series will belong to the first order, the next eight to the second order, and so on, calling these orders octads, and using these numbers following the rule that spheres are to one another in the triplicate ratio of their diameters. Archimedes ultimately finds that the number of grains of sand which the sphere of the universe would hold is less than a thousand myriads or ten millions of the eighth octad. This number would be expressed in our notation as one with sixty-three ciphers annexed. There seems to have been no attempt to apply this method further, the ordinary system being sufficient for the needs of the time. The main principle underlying the Roman system was to prove a symbol for each column or order, the symbol being repeated for each unit in the order. The following reconstruction of the Roman process is made for the purpose of comparison with the other two systems and is not offered as a probable historical course. For each unit of column A, a Roman I was used it being the nearest to the primitive stroke or score. X was used for the second order, C for the order of hundreds, and M for thousands. These are called unit letters. So far, the gap from I to 10 is too great, it being necessary to write I nine times for nine. A halfway symbol was then provided for each interval, V for five, L for 50, and D for 500. These are called half-unit letters. It is altogether probable that the half-unit letter is a relic of the pause in finger reckoning when the first hand was completed. Many of the decimal systems still preserve this trace of a quinary base. The half-unit symbol may have arisen in connection with the use of the reckoning board. Placing counters on the spaces as well as upon the lines as the notes of the musical staff. Figure 5 indicates the method of writing 7,868 on the sandboard. It is very probable that the use of the space is, was derived from the half-unit letter rather than in the reverse order. So far, the system is built upon an additive basis. The value of a symbol of equal or less value written at the right of a given symbol being added to the value of the given symbol. Thus, if 20 is to be written, another x is written at the right of the x, for 10, as xx, while 16 would be written xvi. At this stage, 4 would be written iiii, a form still to be seen on a clock face. A still further improvement, lessening the number of symbols, was the adoption of a subtractive principle. This means that a symbol of lesser value written at the left of a given symbol has its value taken from the value of the greater symbol. In this way, 4 would be written IV. 
Two facts are here noticeable. The subtractive principle need be used but twice in each column. In the column A, for example, in writing 4 and 9, 3 might be written IIV with no advantage over III. A half unit letter is never used in the subtractive sense. That is, L is used for 50 rather than LC. The third and final step was the adoption of the multiplicative principle, also seen in the Greek notation. In the Roman scheme, it appeared as a dash or vinculum, drawn over the letter to increase its value a thousandfold, as in figure 5. A V with a stroke across the top indicates 5,000. The Roman mind was not of scientific cast, and one would scarcely expect to find the number system worked out to logical perfection. In fact, there is a decided lack of uniformity in the manner of writing numbers used by various Roman authors. The following set of rules, compiled by Dr. French, seems to be the logical working out of the system. Affirmative rules. 1. The value of a unit letter is repeated with every repetition of the letter. 2. The value of a letter written at the right of a letter of equal or greater value is added to that value. 3. The value of a unit letter at the left of the next higher unit or half unit letter is subtracted from the value of that letter. 4. A vinculum placed over a letter increases its value a thousandfold. Negative rules. 1. A half unit letter is never repeated. 2. A half unit letter is never written before a letter of greater value. 3. A unit letter is never written before a letter of greater value except the next higher half unit and unit letters, i.e. 99 is never written IC. 4. The vinculum is never placed over I. 5. A letter is not to be used more than three times in any order. Little may be said of the origin of Roman numerals. It is generally supposed that the system was inherited from the Etruscans. Various and interesting have been the theories advanced to explain the choice of the symbols. One is that the I is a sort of hieroglyphic form of the extended finger, V for the hand and X for the double hand. Another theory is that the decim is related to decusire, to cut across, and that the cutting across of a symbol multiplies its value by 10. Thus, I cut across is X. C is the initial letter of centum, 100. Traces of the subtractive principle have been found on brick tablets from the Temple Library of Nippur, recently deciphered by Professor Hilprech of the Babylonian Expedition of the University of Pennsylvania. These bricks probably date from about the 20th century BC. Each of the wide symbols indicated a 10, the final straight wedge a 1, the 20 and 1 being combined in a subtractive sense to give 19. The fundamental principle of assigning a symbol to each column destined the Roman system of notation to ultimate disuse. By this principle, an indefinitely large number would mean an indefinitely large number of columns, and hence an indefinitely large number of symbols. No difference how many symbols were in use, it would be easy to specify a number which could not be written. Such a system must finally give way to another with no such limitations. End of section 1